0: If you have God's word, I do invite you to turn to the book of John. Let's go to John chapter eight, and we're going to be looking at at verse 11 through three in just a moment. I want to ask a question. How many of you agree that, that there are impossible expectations in this culture in which we live? You know, impossible expectations. We see it in the in the media when when we see them analyzing and pulling apart the lives of those that are politicians And the lives of those that are maybe movie stars, the lives of those that are maybe TV evangelists and even pastors. And we see that all of a sudden there's this thing that is happening in our culture that we might even call character, character assassination. And in fact, it's not for those that are evil or those that are bad or those that are doing good things. But it seems like in our culture today that character assassination is absolutely the norm. So it seems like there are these impossible expectations. For those, once they get into a place where public is, eye is upon them and people are watching them, that there is this, this, this almost this, this okay average standard that we can, we can treat people this way. I mean, it's an impossible expectation. Or the impossible expectations of, say, marketing. And, and, and the way that, that things are promoted to the public in regards to makeup and beauty. And our bodies and the way that we're supposed to look and the way that we're supposed to dress. And, and there's these impossible expectations. And I kind of have laughed because some of the, the marketing ploy, it, it presents it presents life as, as like this. They kind of expect us to look 15 years of age for. Our whole life. It's impossible. We cannot look like we're 15. The fact is, there are these impossible expectations in our culture today. And we see it, see it trickling down to even our young people and their lives and the teenagers and the school that they go to and the peer pressure and, and the expectations that maybe uh, their peers put upon them. In fact, it, it's even to the point where these expectations become almost self-destructive. And even abusive, and and we've read articles and we've seen news reports about young people cutting themselves and harming themselves and taking their lives because these expectations are so ridiculously high. And and maybe in in kind of way, in the midst of all this life that we expect, we're we're hoping that maybe on the inside, that on the inside of us, maybe there there is some special power, maybe there's some kind of bulletproof. Shield that we have that would help us deal with with maybe all the derogatory language and the negativity that we're surrounded with, and maybe that's exactly why we we need we need our Savior. That's exactly why we need Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ he 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 loves us. He accepts us just as we are. I propose this morning. Now hang in there. I propose this morning that being a superhero is not about l- leaping buildings. And being fast and never failing or wearing a mask that hides it all. And we do that so well. Oftentimes we wear this mask and sometimes it's a a mask we wear in this place. And then we wear another or a different mask in another place. And then we go to church and maybe we have a different mask that we put on when we come to church. But then as we listen and we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe just in a little bit of a way. We realize that God loves us no matter what mask that we are wearing. I I mean, the question is, has there ever really been a superhero? I mean, a... A physical superhero in, in the world. I mean, who, who else could be, you know, the one that would walk on water or turn water to wine or defeat death? I mean, Jesus Christ, he is the one. But, but he's not just a superhero in terms of, of supernatural feats, but I believe in the aspect of, of faith is embodied in the character of his life. In fact, they're the very dynamics of Christ, the things about Christ that can literally be passed on from his life to our life because of the example that he gives each one of us today. So his faith is a faith that is embodied in his character and life. And you say, well, pastor, what does that mean? Here it is. The first thing that Jesus shows us, he shows us some things about his life. The first thing that he shows us about his life, he shows us a love that transcends empires. Say that with me out loud. He shows us a love that transcends empires. In fact, in chapter 7, we're going to be looking at, at chapter 8 in just a moment, John chapter 8, but in John chapter 7, Jesus goes up to Judea, and, and it's really in the middle of the Feast of, of the Booths, and, and I guess a more formal language would be the Feast of the Tabernacles, but the Feast of the Booths is a time where they literally go up to Judea, and they build these huts or these booths, and these booths then are, are used as a place for worship, and they bring in their agricultural produce for the year, and it's a time when they, they are thanking God for the the bounty of the earth and how the earth is supplied for them. And and also it's a celebration of the ending of their 40 years of wandering, the Hebrews 40 years of wandering in the desert. But it's definitely about the bounty and the earth and how we've been blessed by the earth. And and it's in this point that in this feast that Jesus Christ says, "Okay, I'm coming, but not not yet. He sends the disciples ahead and then in the very midst or in the middle of the feast, Jesus Christ arrives. And I think that his action is significant and we see how significant in John chapter seven, when he says this and we read it like this, he says, do not judge by appearance. Listen to this. Do not judge by appearance, but judge rightly. Do not judge by appearance, but judge rightly. What is Jesus trying to say in that? I mean, that's kind of a complex sentence, kind of. I mean, it is kind of, you know, a challenge for us. To try to understand what is he saying when he, he speaks these words, do not judge by appearance, but judge rightly. We're well, really he's saying in, in a way he's saying, well, you can build your booth, you can build your booth of religion. In fact, you can have, you know, the best religion in the world. You can, you know, look like that you really understand religion. You can act and live like you are religious. And you can do all the right things and behave in all the right ways, but if there is something that is still missing and empty in your heart, then you're missing the mark. As possibly maybe the Pharisees and the Sadducees that dressed the part and they looked the part and they acted the part. They built their booths of worship unto the Lord and bounty and all of that, but yet there's still something missing. You see, that's what Jesus is saying. You can build this booth or you can build a booth of talent. You can build a booth of talent and allow life to be driven by this talent and this ability that you have. And we've seen it in this world in which we live where people have tremendous talent and they build an empire or wealth. This is great talent. And we can go down the list. There's name after name after name after name in Hollywood. And and they, they have this tremendous talent. But at the end of life, what happens, they take their own life because there's something missing on the inside. You can build this booth of talent. You can build this this, this booth of, of being holy. That's the law. And you can cross all your T's and dot all your I's. And you can act holy. You can, you know, pretend that you're holy. And, and you can act as if, you know, everything is perfectly right. But if there's something that is missing on the inside, there's still something that is wrong here. And John chapter 7 We see Jesus interrupts all of this. He comes into the midst, in the middle of the feast, and and the Orthodox Jewish Empire obviously was keeping score. I mean, Jesus had just healed on the Sabbath just a little bit before this, and now, now Jesus comes in the midst of the feast, and they're watching this. You see their eyes, the religious eyes are upon Him. And so He walks into an atmosphere that is bristling with pretense and jealousy. And this is where we pick up John chapter 8. Beginning at verse seven, go there with me this morning with some eagerness. Go to John chapter eight, looking at verse three through eleven. John chapter eight, beginning at verse three. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And you can imagine you know, that, that moment as, as the people had gathered and the crowds had been following the Pharisees that were dressed like religious people. You can imagine the crowds, they were watching and something was happening. There was some activity. You can imagine the dust at their sandals kicked in the air. You can almost smell the dust this morning. And there is that crowd that is now pressing around him, perhaps maybe 100, 150. And Jesus reaches down. He begins to draw in the dirt. He says something. He writes something. And some scholars say, well, it's the Ten Commandments. Some say maybe the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, no one knows for sure what Jesus is doing, but he's writing there in the dirt and the people are pressing around. And as they continue to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin... Among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. At once, more and once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, which I thought was kind of a little... Incongruent with the previous verses, when they heard it, I mean, he's writing, you'd think they'd read it, but you can imagine on flat ground if there were a hundred people, it'd only be the first couple rows that would be able to see what he was writing. And so the first few people or rows would see what Jesus was writing, then they'd begin to murmur it or mumble it, and, and then the people heard what it was that, 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 that he was writing on the ground, and so it says, it says that they heard it. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones... And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you, Father, that you are giving us reason to pause for just a moment. And, Lord, to really see what you're trying to say to us today. To see the truth in the word and, Lord, to see how it might apply to our life. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to that one individual this morning that is just really hungry, really thirsty. I pray that, Lord, that your will would be done as we consider the word today and what it says to us. And so, Lord, we just submit to you this morning. It's your word. This is your truth, and Lord, so we trust it. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name, and all God's people said, amen. Now, perhaps we're too quick to look at the last action, I mean the last charge. That we see here in this passage, if you look down at the passage, of course, Jesus responds, but it's not so much the first charge or response or the last response that I want to look at as much as the first response or the first charge that comes to this woman and not by Christ, but from others that are in spiritual leadership. And that is the fact that she is. Here's the first thing that she is guilty. I mean, there's no question about the fact that she's guilty. I mean, there's no question that she has been caught in her guilt. Follow me. She's been caught in her guilt. And and it's interesting that Jesus is not he's not arguing for her innocence. It's it's not like, okay, here's a jury and we're trying to decide, you know, are the facts true? It's not like that at all. Everybody knows the facts. she knows that she's guilty and they know that she's guilty. And Jesus knows that she's guilty. So the fact is, we recognize that she was guilty. There is no question she was caught. But the second thing that I noticed in this scenario is that that the sin, I mean, for this woman, the sin was exposed. The sin was exposed. And it's interesting that this is kind of the end of something, but yet it's also the beginning of something else, because in this scenario for this woman, the sin is being exposed. And so now this now it's in the open and. It's no longer people murmuring in the background or, you know, down alleys or in their homes at nighttime, you know, gossiping about, oh, this is how she's living her life. No, it is exposed. Her sin is exposed. And when sin is exposed, it changes things. When sin's exposed, it's like worlds are turned upside down. I mean, for her, sin is exposed. And now it's kind of this new day that is happening because her sin has been exposed. And notice where she was, whose rule she was under. I mean, the Roman Empire for sure, but the empire has held up the micro empire, of the Jewish religious influences. The empire says, judge her. The empire demands the verdict of death. I mean, there's no question because she was guilty. She she deserves death. But the world shaping words of Christ introduces a new empire. The God who's creator, establisher of dispensation, transcends the empires of this world. And you can bet in that moment time somewhat stands still. It is suspended for just a moment. And it's Jesus and the love of Jesus that disrupts this world. And this world has changed and the empire has changed. Why? Because of the love of Jesus Christ. Christ's love transcends empire. Amen. And we recognize this morning that it was the love of Christ that literally changed the life of this young woman, which shows us something else that Jesus shows us. And the second thing that Jesus shows us, it shows us that forgiveness transforms lives. Say that with me. Forgiveness transforms lives. And we see here forgiveness in its best light. Fact is, Jesus... Saved her life. Because she was going to die. I mean the the law said she was to die. They were going to stone her. That was the law. That was the letter. They were going to do that. But what happens. Jesus comes along. And he changes everything. And it's forgiveness that changes everything. And even though. You see, it was the world that was demanding this kind of action. It's the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that comes in and turns the world upside down. You can imagine the emotion. You can imagine her hands sweating. You can imagine her heart beating in her chest. I'm just imagining if I'm thinking that I'm caught and the crowd has a hold of me. And I'm thinking that I'm going to die because I've seen other people die for the same cause. And then there is this one whose name is Jesus. And his love transforms my life. His forgiveness transforms my life. There's something about that. I mean, the power of forgiveness, the power of forgiveness changes things. I I I love that Jesus shows us this in the life that he lives. And in fact, one story is told of a a young college student by the name of Bruce Goodrich, who was uh, a cadet at a in a group of young people for any university. And in fact, a part of the initiation was this, this physical routine and this exercise. And of course there's hazy and all this kind of stuff. And they pushed him and pushed him and pushed him just the night before he'd go to his first set of classes to begin his freshman year. And they pushed him in fact, so hard that he collapses to the ground and passes out never to rise again because he dies. And you can imagine the emotion and, The mom and the dad, when they find out and they get the news that their boy that they sent away to go to college did not even make it to his first day of classes because the behavior of a group of people at this university. And so you can imagine the emotional firestorm and the fear of legal reaction from the parents in the school that was worried about all of this. And you can imagine the emotion behind it. For sure, there's going to be a lawsuit. But then you can imagine when they receive the letter from the father. And the father writes this letter and he writes it this way. And I want to share with you. Here's what he writes. He said, I'd like to take this opportunity to express the appreciation of my family for the great outpouring of concern and sympathy from Texas A&M University and the college community over the loss of our son, Bruce. We were deeply touched by the tribute paid to him. In the battalion, we were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did not go unnoticed during his brief time on campus. And whether they knew that was true or not, that's what they wrote. You see this little testimony. Mr. Goodrich continues to write the father. He says, I hope it will be some comfort to, you know, to know that we harbor no ill will in this matter. We know our God makes no mistakes. Bruce had an appointment with his Lord and is now secure in his celestial home. When the question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one answer will be so that many will consider where they will spend eternity, etc. And etc. And etc. The power of forgiveness, you can imagine, transformed that campus. Because Jesus sets that example for us. It is the power of forgiveness that transforms and it changes lives as we exercise that forgiveness in our own life. And maybe it's possible that the Lord is speaking to you this morning. Maybe it's about forgiving somebody else. Maybe in this church forgiving somebody at home or or maybe possibly where you work that, that that we experience the power of forgiveness why because that's the example that Jesus sets us and the last thing that he shows us he shows us a sacrifice that empowers humanity and of course that's his death upon the cross in fact we learn in God's word that each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made and i love that Jesus sees that in this woman in the preciousness of her life and the uniqueness of her potential and the pros, the promise of the use of going and sending sending no more that there is this nature that is God's nature that becomes a part of man's nature and it's the very image of God that becomes a part of her life and in saying this go and send no more is encapsulated with the whole potential of humanity who knows Jesus Christ amen that you go and sin no more why because you are special and you're beautifully and you're wonderfully made. And you are a creation of God. You see, the biggest lie the enemy wants to sell you is that you're a nobody. You see, the enemy wants you to believe that you are a nobody, that you can do nothing, and that your life is a mess. That is the message of the enemy this morning. Well, here is the message and the promise of Jesus Christ. That you are a somebody. That you're beautiful. That you're wonderfully made. And you're special, each of you. Are unique in your own way. God recognizes that. I was visiting with Heather in the office. Where's Heather at? Is she here? Come on up here, Heather. And I was visiting with her in the office. And she told me about something. And I said, what? And I wasn't quite getting it. So I had to take a lot of time for her to explain it to me. And, you know, the title is A Superhero Among Us. And I said to Heather as she was explaining to me the gift that God has given her. I said, well, that's like a... That's like a, a superpower. <laughs> and I said, you'd be, you'd be great to, to pers- participate in Superhero Sunday. And uh, she, she didn't respond much, but I've talked her into it, and I want to thank her for uh, responding. So this is a superhero that is among us. And she has this gift that she was born with, and she's going to teach us about it. And I was very intrigued. I just wanted you to know that. I was very intrigued. And I, again, I said, that's kind of like a superpower. So, uh, Heather, um, you know, my statement is that we're beautifully and wonderfully made. And I just kind of go through life sometimes, and I really do not ponder or I do not spend enough time thinking about how true that is, that God made each one of us special. But then she was sharing with me this, this gift. And I said, wow. That's really special. A very small percentage of people in the world have this ability. What is it called? Uh, Synesthesia is the general category. Did you get that? Synesthesia. Am I saying that correctly now? I've not been able to say this like for weeks. Synesthesia. Let's everybody say that together. (laughs) Synesthesia. And so she has synesthesia. And tell us kind of a little bit about that. Okay, um, so there are many forms of this. Um, a lot of times it's a kind of a crossing of the senses. So um, for me it's not that, but for some it would be um, hearing uh, a tone and seeing a color or um, tactilely experiencing smells um, like it's spiky or something like that. Um, for me it's, um, it's with numbers, letters, days of the week, Months of the year, shapes, um, I see them all in color. So um, everything looks like the Google logo. Yeah. So, so like the days of the week mean different colors, is that correct?
1: Yes. Or you S- see them that Sometimes
0: way? the color is separate from the way the word is spelled. Okay. So, and then yeah. so when you're reading, you like to read. She reads mm-hmm. a whole lot. We talk about what we read. And, and so when she's reading, what happens? I just see pops of color every all over the, the pages I read interesting. it. Interesting, that'd be an exciting way to read, <laughs> man. Um, so I think the Google it's the symbol. The only way I've ever seen it, though. So <laughs> I don't interesting, know any different. The Google symbol, you know how the Google symbol is, and it's always they make it different every time. And it's, that was a good example that okay that words something you've all seen. Yeah, yeah, so words have this this color and this life synesthesia, and I'm like enthralled. I just cannot believe it. It's a superpower. <laughs> Can can you leap buildings with this talent? Maybe. I I haven't figured that out yet, but I'll Uh, work on it. She's been a sport. She (laughs) has really been a good sport. This morning in the early service, we had fun. But it's really quite remarkable to think about that. And, you know, if we went around this room, we could probably find something unique about everybody. That God made you special and, and wonderful. Give Heather a hand. Would you do that? I want to thank her for coming up. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate that. She, uh, she is wonderfully made. And uh, we're reflecting on that today, that, that you are special. And I want to invite you, before you leave this morning, to know that God has a plan for you. It's not an accident that you're here. He's giving you some message today, right now, because he loves you. He loves you. And maybe you've never even come to that place or had that thought in your head, well, God, you know, I... You know, I, I want to follow you. You know, he'll respond to that. He'll respond to you. In fact, let's do that. Let's respond to him as a congregation. I'm going to invite you to stand. And uh, let's enjoy the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Reflection of prayer and supplication as we come to our prayer wall over here. And partake of this bread and this wine. That represents and symbolic of what Jesus has done for us on Calvary. And maybe that this moment as we reflect and respond and you come to receive communion or you come to light a candle and pray that that it is just kind of a reminder that you belong to God and that you're special. So once you respond to him this morning, worship him. Thank Him for your uniqueness as you participate in this time of worship today.